Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's version of Humanity First, our podcast here at BAMSI. And this week, we are going to talk about money. Um, we don't usually talk a great deal about money, but um, as somebody used to say to me, uh, a, a CFO that I used to work with, um, if there's no money, if there's no money, there's no mission. And that is so true. And running an organization like BAMSI requires uh, a great deal of uh, cooperation and coordination between all departments and right in the middle of that is the finance department and today we have David Simmons our CFO to talk about the almighty dollar hi uh, David how are you doing just fine thank you for having me thank you I think this is the maybe the third time that you've been um, on the podcast and it's about a year in uh, that you've been here and you know you came right in the middle of the pandemic um when I think a lot of organizations were dealing with this short-term, long-term question of the financial sta- uh, sta- stability of nonprofit organizations, we've seen certainly over the last year that many of those nonprofits, small ones, have really been struggling. And it's always sad to see that we lose some of those providers who are, if you like, niche providers of services, uh, providers who have specialties such as linguistic um, capability, cultural, uh, bicultural capability. And um, we're at a very interesting time because I think the state is looking at uh, fewer providers um, providing services with more integration um, and, you know, we're in the middle of the moment of the procurement for the Community Behavioral Health Center, which gives us an opportunity to be in the running as one of those organizations that is being a hub. With that, I think, comes a lot of financial um, questions about how uh, about what those budgets are going to look like. And I know that you've been uh, working day and night on what those uh, financial models look like. So welcome to the show. And Give us, a, give us a couple of thoughts off the top of your head about where we are now, because I know uh, a lot of people have been talking about the ARP, the ARPA funding that's coming through and how that money is uh, really helping us with cash flow. But in some ways, isn't that money that we've already encumbered with the grand bargain to, to start with? Let's talk about that a little bit. I think uh, most definitely the majority of those funds, if not all, are doing exactly that. Um, that, that was the business decision that we had to make nine months ago, and without making it, we're not even being remotely competitive in, in recruiting and retaining staff. So um, it's nice to see those dollars come through, but it just does take, um, you know, you really have to take your time and follow the flow of where the dollars are coming from, when they're coming, and what they are earmarked for. And then you match that up against the business plan you've already put in place, and then hopefully you have even more left over at that point in time, although not likely, to apply it to other areas of cost that we've incurred, such as you know, facility sterilization and protective uh, personal equipment and things of those nature, on top of what it costs to obviously um, employ an individual these days. It's been a it's been a strange ride in a way, and, and you know nobody really was prepared for the pandemic. Nobody was prepared for the. Uh, the revisiting of the pandemic in terms of the number of strains that we've dealt with. Um, but it's odd financially as well, isn't it, that, that the state and the federal government at first really stepped up, didn't they? I mean, they, they really wanted people to get what they called at the time PPP, the payroll protection, uh, which actually we got some of here. We, we weren't successful in the next round of that. 
Um, and then we got additional monies for PPE, which is the uh, pr- protective equipment. But over the, I would say over the last year, that, that those monies have dropped off a little bit when we've gone to the 10% um, increase of uh, ARPA funding. But it, to me, it feels like we've all been always been catching up because at the same time, we've had this labor shortage. Um, and, you know, we noted last week that Target uh, were offering $24 an hour, um, which is a game changer, I think, in that um, in that uh, area. Uh, we've made we made the grand bargain. We said we have to pay people what they're well to get a bit closer to what they're worth, especially after uh, two years of uh, of our folks really putting their shoulders to the wheel and and, and doing the work. Um, so there's this whole thing about okay, that money's coming in; it's going to offset that. But what does the future look like? Um, I think we both have an idea that that we're we're very concerned about that. Uh, most definitely, um, you know, you're, you're spot on in that. The influx of dollars that occurred late in 2020 and then again in 21, while impressive and extremely helpful and necessary in many, many areas, still didn't really cover everything that was involved um, in operating in a pandemic. And so there's still other avenues that we need to be able to pursue and things we need to um, be able to try and find alternative funding sources for. Our day have programs come to mind for me because a year ago this time, there was a big influx of federal dollars that supported the inability to service people in a public environment that way for the extended period in which we did and the um, what appears to be almost a permanent drop-off in census. And this year, that doesn't really exist. There's, there's a new one they just kicked out where they're looking at the Omicron variant in terms of funding some dollars for us for the drop-off within that. But they've completely discounted the fact that you had the huge drop-off from where you were in all of 2019 into the first quarter of 2020. That volume has never come back. Small pieces of it have come back, but you still have that loss. So if you start at that and then you lose a little bit more with Omicron, Great, they can come back and help us out with that. But we still have that whole piece behind us that there has been no place to turn to support that this year other than BAMSI's operational decision to do so. Right. And that it's a vital service and we want to maintain it for the, for the, for the regions that we work in. So. Yeah, and then, you know, agencies like ours, of course, when we lease buildings, um, we oftentimes have longer leases because it's cheaper for us to do that. I mean, you think about our rates, our rates really are close to the margin. So closing programs is is really it's something – well, there's a couple of things, really. Closing programs is more difficult when you have obligations for a lease that's another five years. Um, and so it's really not as – easy perhaps in other industries just to say we're not going to you know um, sell pizza anymore or, or whatever that might be and that's part of what we're struggling with here I think the other thing is that you know we have certain responsibilities in terms of financial ratios and maybe we can talk about that a little bit because uh, it it is good for everyone to know that yes we've put a lot of money into workforce into facilities all of those things um, but we have to be thoughtful about how we spend those resources because there are ratios that our banks look at us uh, and, and measure us on to check our liquidity and check our financial um, 
health, if you like. So talk about those a little bit and how um, and how important it is to maintain those ratios. Well, you know, I, your thoughts and statement there just take me back to one of your opening comments where uh, I believe you said with no money there's no mission. I've always heard that phrase as no margin, no mission. And it holds very, very true in any not-for-profit environment and seems counterintuitive when you phrase it that way, but it isn't because – a nonprofit organization providing human services has to generate some form of a margin from some of the work that it's doing in order to continue to be able to reinvest in the people and reinvest in the business and reinvest in reinvest in all of the facilities that, that we operate within, whether it be rental or ownership or any other form. Um, so it is vital that we have control of all aspects of that and that we have to be able to satisfy first and foremost our board of directors that we are in fact fulfilling our mission second our people and reinvesting in them on a consistent basis and then not necessarily in in the proper order that anybody on the list would think but then you have your finances and your bank and, and that they want to know that you're operating within a certain set of parameters and you have the ability to continue to make payments on any dollars that we might have borrowed for any purpose over the course of time. Um, So those three elements of it never change. And while we can lose money, if we want to think of it that way, for a short period of time, maybe even, you know, a year or two if you really wanted to go that far, but obviously it's not something you would recommend or want to do. But we can only do that because Bamsey did so much good work for so many years that there's enough equity built up in the business that we can begin to spend some of that down, if, if you will, to get beyond this particular crisis, assuming that there truly is a beyond this crisis. Right. Because somewhere along the way, everything has to settle out. Reimbursement rates for what the service that you're doing have to be set at a level that is actually going to allow you to do the three things that I just mentioned. Hmm. And not have any of these additional kicker funds coming in, whether it be from OPA or from the CARES Act or Workforce Initiative or any other program that, that, that folks um, can possibly dream up on a way to do this. And there's so many elements involved, it's extremely complicated to follow the flow of the dollars. But, you know, we have in the process, we're doing that right now. But you're right, the dollars have already been committed. Yeah, Those dollars coming in, we made the managerial decision 10 months ago that this is what we had to do to remain competitive. We're looking at having to do something else again now because the market continues to challenge us. Mm-hmm. And what we're being reimbursed, even though they're supplementing it with add-ons and things of that nature, remains insufficient and will very likely always be. So we need to be smarter and manage the dollars better as we go through. Yeah. And by expanding into new markets like we're talking about doing. Mm-hmm. And you know, that takes time and money as well. So you have to have the money up front to make those investments to begin to achieve the benefits and the returns from it somewhere down the road. Right. And hopefully, it's, if we manage it right, it all comes in at just about the right time. Yeah, and I mean, I've never, <clears throat> in the long life that, that I've led, I've never known banks to be reckless. I've, they've always tended to be a little bit conservative. So when we talk about ratios, let's take um, an example of that. You mentioned that we have built up equity. 
But that equity is very important to have when you have debt. And so one of those ratios, let's talk about that one, for instance, nope. because I think that's a really important one that, that perhaps is more of a behind-the-scenes um, effort to, to maintain that ratio. It's, it's usually a, a two-to-one ratio is, is about where you can go these days where you have twice as much debt if you have equity. Um, you're better off, obviously, if it's the other way around. You have that much equity and that less debt to join. But if you have that much less debt, you're not really – Utilizing all your assets, I don't think, to the ability that you could right. um, to push forward and to grow the business and therefore serve more people. Um, so, But that particular one, although it hasn't been challenged for us yet because we still have the equity, if things remained exactly like they were, that would become less and less favorable and therefore banks would look less favorable and continue us with us to extend us new debt if we were trying to grow someplace else. Or even maintaining the debt that we have because they would be concerned about never getting their investment back. Right. right. So and that that's hugely important for growth. That you know you can't unless you have that platform, you can't grow, and so you stay um, you stay stuck, if you like. What about um, people may have heard this this expression, cash on hand? Um, tell us a bit about that. Um, goes cash on hand goes hand in hand, for lack of better words. Um, with exactly what we were just talking about because a business generates its income at a bottom-line profit, and that never always results in having more cash on hand. There's a certain amount that you want to have all the time, and that number, I think, should be closer to 60 days of operating funds on hand in case something drastic happens and and all of a sudden your cash flow dries up. You have plenty to survive and keep doing what we're doing. most companies operate with far less than that. If you were to look at the annual filings you see for a lot of not-for-profits, you'll see them hovering somewhere between 20 and 40 days. And while that's not unhealthy, it doesn't give you the solid base that you would like to have knowing it's underneath you to take steps forward into new markets or expanding your services that you currently do in someplace else um, because that's investment and usually requires, it requires the cash up front. And so we've been able to maintain that, our level this year, relatively stable, although it is now being challenged by the fact that we think we know what we're going to get for some of these 10% funds coming in and when it's going to come in and what it's going to be worth. And we have received some of it, but not all of it. And so there's still more out there to be calculated and coming in, more dollars to be chased. But... That's only going to take us back to roughly where we were. It's not going to put us ahead of anything, which I guess from the perspective of people giving you additional dollars on something, they're recognizing the problem in the world and trying to calculate what that is. But that was a magic number that they came up with to throw at, just throw at business and say, here, this is what we have. Take it and run and manage to this. And that's the challenge that we're trying to do right Right. now is to maintain that level. Right. And then – there's the re- and then there's the reckoning. How did we spend that money? But um, you know what's interesting, and, and I just thought about was that um, there's so many different ways of interpreting the financial health of an organization. Um, and when we talk about cl- uh, cash flow, we know that you know <laughs> sort of cash is king, and, and it's it's fungible, and all of those things. It's great to have that. But talk about the difference between a good cash flow and sort of future projections on the balance sheet because I think that's something that is a little bit hard to get your hands around. Um, It is by virtue of the fact that in order to generate cash, you don't necessarily have to turn a profit. 
because it depends on what you do with the cash you have. But a sustainable business moving forward should always be generating enough cash to meet its debt obligations, to spend dollars to reinvest in facilities and things of that nature and technology, to produce whatever margin it is we're supposed to be producing in order to then reinvest in that third aspect of this, which is the people, and whether that be in payroll dollars or in benefits or anything of that particular nature. But in order to to grow the business beyond that, to invest beyond that, to have investments and, and savings and things of that nature to do things for the future, you need to generate that much more cash flow, which turns into the profit that we're talking about. So raises for people in the workforce don't come from break-even. They come from earning a small margin because the debt is coming from operating at break-even. The buildings and the facilities are coming from that. And that last aspect, you need to turn a profit in order to be able to reinvest in the people. And then if you're going to invest in the future and different things, you need to make that much more on top of it because that's just the nature of the way it goes. You, you can't, if you can't meet your current obligations, you can't be prepared to take on new ones. Right. And that requires having the cash to yeah. do so. That's right. And it sort of reminds us that, um, that, it is not, that it is about the present, but it's also about the future. It's also about making sure that your strategic plan recognizes growth as a must, because I think if you're standing still, you're going backwards, and because there's always somebody who's going to be willing to do what you do. And, uh, and I, I guess, finally, it's about advocacy, isn't it? Because we've done a lot of advocacy, you and I and Jill and, and, and other people, um, because we're looking to the future. When you say those raises don't, you know, come out of uh, out of uh, a, a straight margin, yeah, yeah. then you're looking to advocate for higher rates for um, the services that we provide, taking into account inflation, which is having a terrible downward effect on everybody at the moment. And our oil bills, as I heard the other day, are just out of control, as everybody listening to this will be able to, who has oil, will be able to attest to. Um, Advocacy is an important part of this, isn't it, in terms of getting the ear of those people who are setting those rates? It's extremely important, and the timing of it is equally critical as well, because you don't get a lot of turns at at the plate to, to approach those type of situations and have those conversations. And you need to be smart enough to drill down into exactly what area of something built on a reimbursement situation affects your business and your business line because the general rate approach and rate setting situation is always to do something that's going to benefit everybody and and, and lift it up. But if there are elements within that rate that are hurting your business line, a particular business line, simply because of the way it was construed, then the rest of the world has an operating advantage over you do, and you have a disincentive to continue providing that service. And that's a really hard thing to change midstream in, in an agency's history and, and the work that it has been doing in communities for 40-some-odd years at this point in time. So that's a true challenge is to highlight that to get those in – with the ability to adjust those rates moving forward to actually see that component and care as opposed to say, oh, but we did this across the board or or the opera money is there. If it ends up that you're having to use the opera money to supplement cost incurred in other areas because the rates are insufficient, 
then in effect, your competition has been given an advantage over you. And they get to then turn around and spend those dollars in a very different way than we do. And that puts us at a competitive disadvantage going forward. It certainly certainly does. And that means that we have to rattle the cages of the legislature and, uh, and, you know, make some difficult decisions if need be around how we maintain um, financial stability. And if, you know, if, if it costs too much for us, to provide high medical need services. We've got to look at that unless um, unless we're given a reasonable rate to do that. Well, David, thank you so much for coming in. I know that we could talk about this all day. And um, thank you for giving us an idea of, of how complicated this is and how intricately connected the finance piece of this is with every other piece of the organization. So well, thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you.